Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Aaron. At this time, we're going to dismiss our kids. Uh, today is the day on our calendar where our kids are being promoted to the next grade level. So some of our kids have graduated out into sixth grade and will be staying here. Um, all other kids can meet our kids' director, Miss Stephanie, over there. And as you walk them over, kids, you can walk your kids over uh, to their classes right now. We're going to do something a little bit uh, somewhat out of order. Before I begin the message, we're going to give you a chance to take your kids over there. And I'm going to ask everybody who's still with us and who's not signing their kids into their classes just to turn to page 11 in the bulletin. And we'll spend some time now talking about things happening, things upcoming in the life of our church as our kids get all settled into their classes. And one note on that, our kids will be in their classes for the sermon and for the message, and they'll be brought back to you for the celebration of communion after the message. So, some things going on. We're spending a lot of time this summer focused on eating together. Spending time in each other's presence and sharing food and meals with one another. Uh, one way we're doing that is on Sundays, once a month throughout the summer, we are just eating together after the service. And so we're making it really easy. You don't have to bring anything. All you have to do is order your food. Uh, we did burritos in June. No, in May. We did burritos in May. So coming up for June is uh, banh mi sandwiches. If you've never had those, Vietnamese sandwiches, super, super good. And you can go online, you can click that link through our e-news, and you can make your order, place your order for exactly what kind of sandwich you want. It'll be waiting for you on June 27th after the service. So that's coming up. Make sure you do that. Um, also, you'll see on here, let's see, is it on the bullet bulletin? It's in the e-news. Um, but I don't see it mentioned here uh, for this week. We're having what we call summer suppers. So you, you'll have access to those through our website or through our weekly e-news. Those are smaller gatherings, not everybody. Uh, it's just people in our, in our church community who have decided to open up their home, and you get to invite yourself over for dinner to their home. They're excited to welcome you, smaller groups of people. So I want to encourage everybody, consider doing that and check that out as well. It's all about this summer us reconnecting. Um, it's been a long year and a half where we've had to be uh, very, very careful, where we've had to spend time separately. And so we are just creating a ton of space to reconnect this summer. So make sure um, you participate in all those things. And we are doing also in August, mark your calendar on Saturday and all church beach day. We'll be there just enjoying the beach together. And our youth will... Um, They'll end the day there. They'll take over and do beach bonfire and all that. But in the daytime, we'll be there to enjoy that time together. All right. 
Well, a reminder, I'm going to ask the guys uh, running the live stream, just make sure you put up that QR code again. If, if you're joining us on the live stream, if you missed the QR code, you'll need this to follow along um, with the message, also with the songs and the liturgy upcoming later. Uh, so make sure you have that. This morning, we are continuing on in our series. We're in a series in the Gospel of Matthew, we're calling it Jesus Unfiltered. A filter is something, right, that lets what you want through and keeps out what you don't want. So it keeps what you don't want from getting in. That's what a filter does. As we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, we are asking, how do I do this with Jesus? How do I let some things through, the parts that I like and want to get through, and how might I be putting up a filter that keeps some things out that I don't want to get through. Matthew 16, that's where we are right now. That's central to the entire gospel of Matthew. It's really the turning point in the entire story of Jesus. Last week, we saw how Jesus took his disciples far, far away, away from all the distractions and the controversies and said, I have the most important question for you. Who do you say that I am? Peter answers it correctly. And then, for the first time, what we just read here, Jesus comes right out and he says to his closest friends, his disciples, since you are beginning to understand who I am, you have the correct answer. Now it's time to tell you all straight up, this is what it is necessary for me to do, to suffer and to die and then be raised. All right, then what happens? Peter, who is the spokesperson, who's the leader of the disciples, he says, oh, <laughs> no, no, this isn't right. He, he, he finds Jesus. He takes him aside, it says, and says, no, no way. Never will this be. This is not necessary. This will never happen to you. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And we say, whoa. Jesus calls his friend, his disciple, the guy who just got it right, he calls him Satan. This is the only place that I am aware of where Jesus or anyone in Scripture is straight up called Satan. What's going on? Well, we saw a few weeks earlier uh, something that was a bit disturbing as you read it was when Jesus called a woman a dog. It was indirect. And if you want to Go back to that sermon. You can find it on YouTube or whatever. We talked about that. But this is even worse than that. Of all the ways that people are called out by God in the Bible, that we are called out, I think this is probably the worst thing to be called. Could anything be worse than being called Satan? Satan is the enemy of God in the Bible. He is the liar. He is the deceiver. He is the adversary. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we say, wow, this is calling me a sinner. This is calling me wicked. This is calling me an adulterer or hostile to God or an enemy of God. And we struggle to see ourselves in that. We say, man, am I, is that me? But this goes way beyond all of that and says, no, Satan, you are Satan. What is happening? Well, what I want to suggest is that what we see here is Peter's filter in action. I know you said it, Jesus, but it can't be. I cannot believe that. I won't allow that. And Jesus confronts Peter and his filter and says, you're not thinking about God's concerns. 
You're only thinking about your concerns are human concerns. So he's saying, Peter, the way you're thinking is not letting the things of God in. It's, in fact, keeping them out. And I have to get through to you. I have to tell you and all of my disciples and here in the word to us, I have to make clear to everyone who is interested in knowing who I am and following me, this is serious and how serious this is. So I'm calling you Satan. So that the picture here that comes to mind for me, I'm thinking about this all week. This is a collision course. The way God thinks and the way that we think. And here they are colliding. If you've ever been in an accident, I'm sorry, it's not fun. But if you get into a fender bender or you kind of scratch a car, like that's, that's one thing. It's inconvenient. It's not good. But everybody's okay. And you kind of move on. But if you've ever been in a collision, I'm even more sorry if you've experienced that. You don't just get up and move on. Cars are totaled. People are injured. Stuff happens. You don't just get up and walk away. And Jesus is saying, now it's the time to collide. Because if I don't collide with you, you won't understand how God thinks. You'll just be thinking the way that you think. There's a quote here in the Reflection Quotes from a great book by Adam Nader. Theology is a way of life. He says, anyone who reads the New Testament who attempts to follow Jesus according to the patterns of life described there. Oh, wait, no, that's not the one. It's the one Adam McHugh. That's the one I wanted to read. That's good. We'll get, to, we'll get back to that one later. Second quote, we must put away our convenient notions of God, right? How we think. The one who always agrees with us. The God who always favors our nation, our political agenda. The one who feeds us candy and never vegetables. So I'm reading that to say this is a vegetable sermon. This is not a candy sermon. Jesus wants to collide with us, and he wants us to ask this question. How can what was true of Peter, how might that be true of me? Are there ways that I am thinking that is not letting God in? Are there ways that I am thinking that are keeping God out of the way that I think? Where does Jesus need to collide with me this morning? I don't have my points printed. I have three, three points. I think there are three main collisions here in this text. And the first is what we think is necessary. If you want to write that down, you can in the outline. What, what we think is necessary. This is the first collision. And verse 21 starts by saying, from then on. This tells us this is a turning point. Prior to this, Jesus had only alluded subtly to the fact that he was going to suffer and die a few times. But here, for the first time, he comes right out and says it directly, that he is on an intentional path to death. He will be rejected by all the religious leaders and authorities. He will suffer, and he will be killed and then raised on the third day. Jesus made this turning point at this time, chose to become this direct with his disciples because they had the right answer about who he was. They had the right answer, but they still had a major filter in place. This is why he said to them in verse 20, you got the right answer, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> you see, that's not printed here, but it's right before. Don't tell anybody who I am. You say, why? Because they didn't fully get it. At this time, faithful Jewish people were expecting and they deeply wanted a Messiah who would come to conquer. 
A Messiah who would come in power and glory and strength. A Messiah who would come and take victory over the political and religious leadership of the time and step in by force and conquer. And they said, that is what we need. And here Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, but I'm not the one you think you need. Instead, I will suffer many things. I will come in weakness and humility. The political and religious leaders, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, they will kill me. And Peter said, (laughs) that is not what we need. What are you talking about? And Jesus is saying, so much of what we think is necessary, he will not do. What we think is necessary for Jesus to do. And Jesus says, what is necessary from God for me to do? These things are worlds apart, Peter. And it's time for these things to collide. In verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples, what? That it was necessary. And this is the key word in this passage in what Jesus is saying. It's a very little tiny word, the Greek word day. It's translated, it was necessary. It's a very important word. As we look at that word and we go, necessary for who? Who says it's necessary that Jesus die and suffer? And the answer is, the scholars call this, the divine necessity. It is necessary to God, to his will, to his purpose and his plan in order to reconcile the world to himself, in order to restore and redeem. This is what is necessary, that Jesus suffer and die. I want to talk about why it's necessary in my next point, but here I just want to pause right here and reflect a little bit. It is possible for us to say the right things about Jesus, like Peter did, to have the right answers about Jesus, like Peter did, but still think of him mainly as we want him to be, not as he is and not as we need him to be. And this can be very deep-seated and hidden until we collide with Jesus in this way, until he collides with us. In verse 22, look at how deep-seated it is. Peter says, oh, no, far be it from you. Some of the translations say um, something like, oh, God have mercy. And what's going on here is probably a transliteration from Greek or a translation from Hebrew into Greek, a phrase that was like, Lord, have mercy, or something like that, which meant God forbid it, never. And he says, then he goes on, this will never happen. Far be it from you, never, never, never. Do you see how Peter was very sure? Peter was very confident. In fact, Peter was very demanding of Jesus and saying, that is not what we need. And I know. And Jesus says he's very wrong and very dangerous. He's representing the viewpoint of Satan. Now, you might ask this question, was maybe this was out of good intentions. Peter is saying, no, Jesus, I love you. I want to be with you. You need to stay with us. So I, I, wanna, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. 
So maybe he's just trying to keep Jesus from harm and suffering. And possibly that is here. But on the other hand, is not this the height of arrogance and pride? Peter had just confessed, you are the Christ, the king. You are the son of the living God. And then right after that, Peter says, and Jesus, I know better than you. I know what's best for you. I know what's best for me. I know what's best for the world. What you're talking about, we don't need that. And he rebuked Jesus. To rebuke a rabbi at this time, and we know this from the writings of the Jewish rabbis of the day, to rebuke your rabbi meant you were worthy of the judgment of God, death. Rabbis would say, you rebuke me, may God strike you down. So Peter is busting past all of that and saying, I know, I don't need this, we don't need this, the world doesn't need this. In just a few moments, in just a few verses, Peter goes from Jesus saying, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. And then Jesus says, now Peter, you're a stumbling block. You're a stumbling stone, a hindrance. In just a few moments. And I think this is meant to just make us step back and go, if it can happen to Peter, right, as he was at his greatest moment, the rock, and then he becomes a stumbling stone, it can happen to anyone at any time. And confess the right theology, have the right answers, but we can slip into thinking that I know what I need better than God does. And that's the first thought of application here for us to consider. The first collision we need to consider and come to grips with. God knows better what we need than we do. Simple thought, but not a simple thing to get deep into our hearts. If God is God, right? If Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he tells us what's necessary for us. We don't tell him what is necessary for him. Sometimes we think in our hearts, God, if you don't do this, if you don't do what I need, I'm walking away. I won't believe in you. If you don't come through in this way, I don't know what I'm going to do. If you don't answer this prayer, if this is really what you're saying, if this is what your word is saying, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can believe in that. And wasn't it the original temptation of Satan in the garden to get us thinking this? God is holding back. He hasn't given you what you need. He's not taking care of you. Right? Here, the entire world was created. Adam and Eve, they didn't even exist, and here they are existing. Your life is a gift, and God says to Adam and Eve, you have the whole world. There's one thing you cannot do. There's one thing you cannot have. There's a tree of trust. I want you to trust me that I know what is best for you. And Satan says, see, God's holding back. And there was the seed of the original rebellion and the fall of mankind into sin. The belief, the way of thinking that says, I know what I need better than God does. And Jesus says these things have to collide in every human heart and every soul. You have to come to the place where you say, God knows what I need better than I do. That's the first collision. Second, second collision is what we think our main problem is versus what God thinks our main problem is. 
And here's where I want to dig further into the question, why did Jesus say it's necessary for him to die? Many people believe Jesus was a good teacher, a great person, a great influence, but it wasn't necessary for him to die for his life to have a lasting impact or value for us, right? We have his teaching, we have his example, we have the great stories that he told. That is what really matters. Whether or not he died on a cross or suffered before his time, that doesn't matter. That's not necessary. What Jesus is saying here is more than a prediction. Many prophets and revolutionaries lost their lives as martyrs, and Jesus isn't just saying here, I know what's coming. I know where this is headed. I can see it ahead. No, Jesus is saying his death is a, rather probably better, the necessary part of his ministry. Nothing matters. Nothing is of value if he doesn't suffer and die. He's saying, if I don't die in this way, the main problem you have, the main problem in the world remains unaddressed. When Jesus says to Peter, right, get behind me, Satan. He's not saying Peter is possessed or somehow taken over by Satan or something like that. He's identifying the source behind Peter's thinking. And he says, get away from me. Get behind me. This is almost the exact same thing that Jesus said to Satan himself in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan came to tempt Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And you look at these temptations of Satan, they all had one common thread. Jesus, you can solve the world's problems without the cross. You don't need to suffer and die. Right? Satan said, let's feed the people. Let's make stones into bread. You can feed the people. You can meet their needs. You can have the people see you in fear and awe. Jump off of the temple. Perform a wondrous act. And they'll do what you say. Work the wonders. Rule the people with force and power. Just take the kingdoms of the world. Why not? Just take them now. You don't have to die. You don't need a cross. You don't need to suffer. You can save the world without the cross. This, this is the strategy of Satan and evil. Having already succeeded, Satan, in bringing sin into the world now, what is his strategy? It's to do anything to cause us to avoid or to deny our main and our deepest and our most dangerous problem. And Jesus is saying here, I am here to solve that problem. The one you want to avoid, the one you want to deny, the one you want to downplay, the one you want to see in everybody else, but not in yourself. And what is it? It's sin. Big concept in the scriptures. Sin is our state of disconnection between God and ourselves. It's our act of rebellion. It's wandering away from God. It's living independently of God. It's that condition and the disease of our soul that keeps us from loving him and loving our neighbors that distorts life as it is meant to be. Sin is that hole in our soul that nothing can fill. Do you remember what the first results of sin were? Going again back to Genesis in the garden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, what happened right after that? Two things. They hid, it says. They tried to cover it up themselves. They hid, and then the next thing they did, when God showed up, they blamed. God said, what happened? He said, it's Satan. Eve said, Satan made me do it. 
Adam said, Eve made me do it, and then the blame game was all over the place. So they hid in shame, trying to cover their main problem, and they blamed everything else out there. (laughs) They did everything to avoid the main problem, that they had sinned, that they had disobeyed, wandered away, rejected, and left behind the God who had made them. Here's what Peter was saying. He didn't say it like this, but he was basically saying this right here. Jesus, I don't need you to die for me. How is that going to solve my problems? The main problem is out there. The main problem is the stuff going on out there. The Romans are religious leaders who are leading us astray. How is you dying for me going to solve that? Now, maybe you can imagine for me this just thought experiment for a moment. If Jesus said to you, okay, I will give you the solutions to all your problems. I don't know what problems you're dealing with right now in your life. Bring it up. Your main problem, your biggest problem. Jesus says, I will, I will solve that problem. Blank check. Tell me the solution you want. I will do it on one condition. I won't do anything about sin. I'm not going to address sin. As you think about that, just play that out in your mind. How might that look? A solution that doesn't get to all the damage and the disconnection that is a result of sin. We often think what we need is more education, right? More knowledge, better government, better technology. Better science, more money, more equity. Haven't we all seen that although these are great things and much good has come from these things, there's something else that no matter how much we have of those other things, it doesn't fix our problems. Selfishness, our tendency to turn on each other, hurt others, hurt ourselves. It doesn't fill the void in our souls that nothing else can fill. What Jesus says here, he doesn't make it all clear how it's all going to play out at this point. But this much is clear. Jesus says he's going to die. But he says, I'm going to die. It's not for my own guilt. It's not for my own sin. It's not for anything that he did. He will be innocent, yet he must die. And he will be able to stop his death, but he will choose not to. And Peter can't see why in the world he would do this. Here is the collision. Jesus is saying to Peter, if not me, Peter, then it will be you. You will be left in your sin. You will be left in the choice of your sin to walk away from God, away from life into death. Either I walk into that death for you, or you walk into that death yourself. Satan The mindset of Satan, the mindset of human concern is that we can hide our sin, we can cover it up in all kinds of ways. We can hide it and cover it up in our impressive resumes and our success and our achievements and our moral goodness. Or we can blame others and say, the problem is always out there. This is the collision. Jesus says, I have to die. I have to die. 
because our main problem is beyond any human solution. Nothing is more humbling to how we think. That nothing we can do can cover it. No matter what we point to, we still have to look at ourselves. Jesus says, I have to die. There's no other way. This is the great humbling of the Christian faith. But Jesus also says this in the same word, the same sentence. Jesus had to die because he loves us. Jesus had to die because he will do whatever it's necessary to have us, to save us. Nothing's more humbling than to be told, there's nothing you can do. You cannot solve your problems. But nothing is more uplifting and empowering than the God of the universe saying, I will do whatever it takes to save you from that. So we don't live to get acceptance and approval and love. We live from acceptance and approval and love. And that is the greatest difference between Jesus and everything else. A moment of application here. If our deepest problem is addressed by Jesus, then it changes how we think about all our other problems. This morning, as I asked you already to think about what are your main problems that you have in your life right now? Jesus says, here's a new way to think about that. What if, while God is at work in these problems, in his wise and loving will and plan, what if he is also mainly at work in you to set you free, to move you through your deepest problem, your own sin? What if the main problem and your main problem is your sin? And Jesus is saying, we need to collide there. We need to collide there regularly. Because often we think what is our main problem is not our main problem at all. Let me develop that in this third collusion, uh, collision here. Last point. The storyline we think is best for us versus the storyline that God thinks is best for us. We all want a story of victory without suffering. But the gospel is a story of victory through suffering. I borrowed this language in part from Tim Keller in his book on hope. He said, we want the storyline of our lives to go from strength to strength, from success to success, and end happily ever after. But throughout the Bible, we see something completely different, a persistent narrative of life through death or of triumph through weakness that reveals how God works in history and in our lives. And when Peter said, to Jesus, God forbid, may it never be. This will never happen to you. I don't think we're mainly meant to see that as Jesus's way of, or Peter's way of protecting Jesus. I think what's going on more is this is Peter's way of protecting himself. He wasn't just thinking about Jesus. He was thinking about himself. I am following you. I've given up everything to follow. You say you're going to suffer and die. And Peter is saying, God forbid this ever happen to me. If I follow and give my life to a Messiah who suffers and dies, if that is how the story will play out for him, what does that mean about me and my story? I thought the storyline would be follow Jesus, the Messiah. He heals. He teaches. He shows us the truth. 
He marches into Jerusalem. He is crowned king and victor. And I'm right there by his side in the victory. And we are like, yes, we did it. And Jesus is saying, it's time to collide. That is not the script. But the script that I am living and the script that you will live in me is far better than the one you think you want. We have a story script that we live out in our culture, most of us here. And it starts when we're little. Be a good kid. That's good. Be a good student. Work hard. Treat people right. Go to college. Work hard. Treat people right. Find out your dream. Pursue your dream. Find the right person to get married. Have a family. Keep working hard and doing what's right. Strength to strength. Success to success, a story of victory without suffering. So when suffering and loss come into our story, into our script, we go, that's not on the script. That's not how this story is supposed to go. God forbid, may it never be. When things don't work out how we want, in the way that we think, we say, God, you failed me. God, this isn't how... It's supposed to go. And we become disillusioned and discouraged and many times filled with deep doubt. If God was good and loving, he wouldn't let me be defeated like this. The Apostle Paul, we read this this week in Philippians 3. He wrote the letter of Philippians from jail. He had undergone great suffering. And he wrote this letter and he said, I found, I found joy. I found great joy in my life. Joy in prison, it can't take it away. Suffering, poverty, nothing can take away this joy. And he sums it all up in Philippians 3, and he says, I just want to know this, Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, I found the secret to joy. It's a whole new script. It's a whole new story that God works victory through suffering. Joy through suffering. And in that, he frees me from sin. He frees me from self. And he gives me something better than I ever imagined. When we're watching a movie, and it's a good movie, it's a movie of great struggle, you know, maybe there's a fight, maybe it's the Avengers or something like that, any of these movies, they kind of follow the same script. Um, There's usually a great battle and a great villain. And there's a great... There's a great collision that happens between, right, the hero and the villain. And if we're watching it and it looks like, man, the the hero is not doing well, he's getting beat up, he or she is, is looking like they are defeated. But in the back of our mind, we know, oh, wait, I already looked it up. There's gonna be a sequel. Like they've already signed this actor or actress to do part two of this movie. So I know they're not gonna die because they have to be in the next movie. So still, we're gripped. Still, we're like, oh, man, I hope they win. I hope they come out out on top. But we know always because there's a sequel, because there's a part two, any defeat is just an apparent defeat. They'll come out of it into victory. Jesus says, I'm telling you that the story is going to have suffering, but I'm telling you there is a sequel. The cross was not a defeat. Yes, it was real pain deeper and more infinite pain than we'll ever know. But it was not a defeat. It was only an apparent defeat. 
This is what the disciples and Peter could not imagine. But it's very clear here. Jesus says, I want to be clear. This is where the story goes. This is how it goes. This is what God is thinking about. The great concern of God is resurrection. He's not focused on just getting you through this life, on meeting your personal goals and meeting all of your dreams. God's concern is far, far greater and better than that. God's concern, what God is thinking about is resurrection, to restore you to all that you were made to be, to restore all things to how they were made to be, to turn all sad things and to make them come untrue, to redeem all suffering and pain in a greater glory than we could ever imagine what is necessary for Jesus It is necessary for Jesus to get us there. I will do whatever it takes to get you there, he says. Life, my life, your life, will be marked by suffering and pain in a broken and fallen world. We will experience apparent defeat a lot. It will hurt. It will be painful. It will be hard. But there's a part two. There is a sequel And so we know any defeat is not the end of the story. Any defeat is just apparent defeat. And this is how our lives will go. If Jesus says it's necessary for something to die in our lives, it is always to bring something better to life in our lives. Final, final thought. Every single person goes through apparent defeats. Every single marriage goes through apparent defeats. Every, every single relationship, parent to child, goes through apparent defeats. Our relationships, our personal lives, our goals, our emotional and mental well-being, our plans, even just our schedule for one day goes through many apparent defeats. But Jesus says it is necessary for him to suffer and die, and be raised. That's the sequel. That's part two. That is the storyline for our lives. Any defeat, anything that Jesus says, this has to die. It is in order to bring about resurrection life in us. Those are the collisions. And it's a lot. A lot about how we think needs to go on a collision course with Jesus. What is necessary, what our main problem is, and the way that our storylines should play out. When we collide with Jesus, it is a collision for our good and for our joy. Let's pray that he would work that in us right now. Lord Jesus, these were hard words you spoke to Peter. They were harsh words and hard for us to receive them ourselves. But I pray that you would do it in your love. That you would destroy everything in us that keeps what you want. That you would destroy and work through and break through any barrier that we put up to your love. To what is true about you and true about us. And we know that's hard. We know that often takes a collision. But I pray now as we process this message and we come to the table, we would remember that when you break through, you're breaking through for our good 
to lead us deeper and deeper into true joy. And I ask that you would do it in every heart. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.